you've been in Boston, Boston very long, you very likely have moved, probably more than once, and you've certainly been invited to help others move. Perhaps by a friend who failed to inform you that not only are they moving out of a third floor apartment, they're moving to the fourth floor on the other side. And so you showed up and you helped them, you gave your sweat and tears to help carry things. And if on that move you carried something that was very heavy for a lengthy period of time, so perhaps a really heavy dresser, you're trying to carry up those narrow staircases to the fourth floor, or if you were helping the Cook family move and you were helping us carry 100 boxes of books, you may have had a sensation that I've had after carrying for a long time that when you're finished, it feels like your hands are stuck, that your hand is clenched, and it takes a little bit of effort to actually open up your hand. I didn't know this, but this is actually a real condition they call trigger finger. Things like Mayo Clinic, they, they list out how you respond. Now, fortunately, typically, it's not very serious, but it's a real thing. Your hand is stuck as a clenched fist. That passes, but there's actually another condition somewhat like it that's much more dangerous. It happens not with our physical hands, but with what we might call the hand of our heart, of our soul, of our mind. And this hand of the heart is often squeezed tight. This fist of the mind is often clenched, holding tightly to possessions, to resources, to desires that we have. And this clenching can be much harder to loosen, to open. And because this hand is unseen, others may have no idea that the hand of our heart is truly so tightly closed. And today we're going to see the very grave danger of this closed fist. But also we'll see the freedom and the flourishing that's found with an open hand. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, to Proverbs chapter 11. Today we're in Proverbs 11, beginning in verse 24. So I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you. It'll also be projected for us as well as we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. As I mentioned last week, for the next several weeks, we'll be in the book of Proverbs looking from chapter 10 on at selected topics. So whereas uh, the, the beginning of Proverbs are, are best read consecutively through a chapter, from chapter 10 on we find these topics scattered throughout the Proverbs. So we'll move around a lot more today and in coming weeks than we normally would as we're preaching through a book of the Bible. So Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. This morning in our passage, we'll see that greed is enticing and seems wise, but generosity is the true way of flourishing. And today, we'll look at our passage in two parts. First, we'll see the way of greed, but then second, the way of generosity. So first, the way of greed. 
Webster defines greed as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Selfish and excessive desire for something, more of something than is needed. Like last week when we looked at envy, greed is quite difficult to see, to discern, to admit in our own hearts. It's much easier to see greed out there, to denounce greed out there. And there's perhaps at times a place for that. But we must not do that at the expense of looking inward, exploring where the temptation, the very real struggle with greed may be present in our own hearts. And one of the reasons it's so hard is, one, we simply don't want to find it. Who would want to find greed within? It's also difficult because we we tend in America to typically live within a circle of relationships that are relatively similar economically to us. So our life, our possessions, looks very normal compared to others. And basically all of us know some people who have more than us. None of us think we're rich. There's always those people who are rich. So how could we be greedy because our lives seem so normal? Tim Keller Keller helpfully writes, greed hides itself from the victim. And if greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it is not a problem for them. So let's agree today that none of us should be confident this morning that greed might not be, the struggle with greed might not be a problem for us. So today let's not spend our time looking at greed out there greed in here. So what does this greed look like? First, it involves holding tightly instead of giving freely. Look down at chapter 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. So here we see these two different ways. We'll look at, the second, we'll look at the first half in a few minutes. So first, the second half. One withholds, holds on to what he should give. So this person has some understanding, perhaps from societal norms, perhaps an inward compulsion. He knows that he should give. But instead, he holds on to it. He holds tightly to what he has instead of giving out of generosity. Instead of an open hand, he has a closed hand. If you want to see this in sort of a smaller, more humorous way, just watch a couple of toddlers try to play with the same group of toys. So if one toddler's in their home and another toddler comes to play, it is the rare toddler who says, here are my toys I love to share. No, they immediately begin to gather up their toys, and even if it's a toy that they haven't played with in six months, if the other kid wants it, they will grab it. And so they, they pull it all in, they're holding it tightly, saying, it's mine, I won't share it. Now as we get older, we become more refined in how we hold it tightly. But functionally, we do the same. A clenched fist, holding on to possessions, to resources, to desires. Friend, I wonder, where in your life are you tempted to hold tightly to what you have? Whether it's little or much. 
Where do you find yourself holding tightly instead of giving freely? We also see in greed that greed often leads to relational strife. Turn over with me to Proverbs 28. Just a couple of pages over. Proverbs 28, 25, we see this. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Greed often harms relationships. In the workplace, greed often turns co-worker against co-worker. Because the question is, who gets the promotion? And partly it's the, the position, partly it's the influence, but partly it's the, it's the raise. And so one just turn against another because of the greed in our hearts. Greed often turns business partner against partner. Many businesses started by a couple or a small group of entrepreneurs, but it's interesting how few of those, when the businesses do survive, actually that all the partners stay together. They tend to break apart. And certainly there were numerous causes of that, but almost always one of those is greed. At work in the hearts of those partners. And then, of course, greed impacts relationships within the family. So often in marriage, money is a key source of strife. If you want to see family strife in particular, just wait until some inheritance is to be split within the family. In so many families where for years relationships have been built and sustained, often through hard work, and there's been some health in those, when finally the inheritance, even sometimes when it's a very small inheritance, leads to the fracturing of relationships. I've seen it in my own family. Multiple times, multiple generations, deep, deep pain and brokenness. Relationships of siblings broken for years, all over relatively small inheritance. So, friend, are, are there ways that greed has impacted your relationships at work, in your family, even with siblings? Greed also sometimes fuels unjust gain. Look at Proverbs 15, 27. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Often when greed has a hold on our hearts, the normal means of earning money, uh, of accumulating wealth, just aren't sufficient for us, and they're certainly not fast enough. So it's just not moving as quickly as I want, so I begin to think maybe if I cut some corners, I can speed this up. Maybe some, some things that are, that are perhaps gray areas that I'm willing to wade into so I can accumulate more. And sometimes we embrace practices that are outright unethical, even illegal. And our illegal actions, gray actions, impact us and the people around us. Is it possible that currently you're living on the edge of cutting corners? walking in gray areas, tempted to break the law, or perhaps currently breaking the law out of greed. 
And this pursuit of unjust gain often fuels injustice. If you remember just a few weeks ago in the book of Micah, we saw Micah speak to the people of God. And one of the things that marked the people of God was greed, which led to the wealthy stealing from the poor. It led to oppression. It led to injustice. Greed often fuels that. We think about our own country and we examine the the injustice of chattel slavery. There are numerous causes of it. Certainly a part of it was sheer greed. We think of our country taking the lands of indigenous peoples. Numerous parts of that, but no doubt a part of it was greed. So greed often fuels actions of injustice. Greed also impacts our work, and our life in the marketplace. Back to our text in Proverbs 11, Proverbs eleven twenty six. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So here we have an example of greed in the marketplace where it seems that this one has grain to be sold, but he's unwilling to sell it, it seems, at a fair price. So he's holding on to it for the price to go up. Because he wants to maximize every penny that he can, that, that others would be pushed to the edge and he could make more. So, friend, it's worth considering are we the sort of people who try to squeeze every penny of profit out of the deal to the extent of being unfair? Do we see our coworkers? as competitors instead of as collaborators. Out of greed, are you sometimes unwilling to share your work, your ideas with others? Because they might get a hit. And what's the result of greed? The greedy person often falls instead of flourishing. 1128. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Here we see greed is so dangerous and destructive because foundationally greed is misplaced trust. The person struggling with greed is misdirecting his or her trust to their riches. Don't let the word riches distract you here. We tend to think, "Well, well, I'm not rich, it doesn't apply to me. But trusting in our financial resources, trusting in our possessions, however big or small they might be. And what is trusting in riches, trusting in our resources? At its core, it's what we call idolatry. We're looking to something other than God to do for us what only God can do. So we're asking our financial resources, our investments. We think if these desires are met, it will give us what we truly need. So some, we look to money to provide for us security. That's our great longing in life is to be secure. And in our mind, we think if I had this much or if I had this, I'd be secure. Others of us look to money to provide for us comfort. That most of all in life, we want to have comfort. Others of us look to money and resources for reputation. We're most concerned, what do people think about us? Am I seen as successful? And so I need the trappings of a successful life in my possessions, in my home, in the things that I own. 
some of us look to possessions for power. And friends, this greed shows itself sometimes in my possessions, but I can be greedy even if I have none of those possessions. Greed shows itself within with coveting in my heart, my greedy heart. It's so challenging to be discerning because it's very possible to save money out of wisdom. And it's possible to save money out of greed. It's possible to spend money out of wisdom. And it's possible to spend money out of greed. It's possible to be quite wealthy and not be greedy. It's possible to have almost nothing and be eaten up with greed. And our text says the one who trusts will fall. Now, it doesn't mean that they'll immediately fall. It doesn't mean necessarily that they'll obviously fall at all in this life. It may be that the fall in this life is related to relationships in their life that may be broken. So often, the, the fallout of greed is not so obvious. It might be a family that's functionally lost. The family may still remain, but every relationship is broken. No substantial relationships in a person's life because the truth is we haven't had time for them. We've given all our time to accumulating more. So we've had no time to grow friendships, to sustain friendships. A marriage profoundly impacted, even destroyed, because perhaps both were so invested in working, pursuing, fulfilling these desires. Sometimes as kids, shaped by the priorities of their parents, their, their parents were not able to be present with them because it was so necessary for them in their mind to try to accumulate more. Or a family finally destroyed by greed when the inheritance comes. The fall. And sometimes, honestly, it's primarily internal. The greedy has the heart that's just never at rest. A heart that's so often filled with anxiety, filled with worry. What if I lose what I have? What if my investments don't do well this year? What if those stocks that I've accumulated don't gain the value that I thought that they would? Often, the falling is being eaten up with envy that no one else sees. This fall is the opposite of the truly flourishing that's described in verse 28. And then the most final daunting reality that those who trust on something, including money, including possessions other than God, who have not turned back to God in repentance, there is an eternal judgment for them because they've rejected God himself. So friend, we see that the way of greed is a wide and well-worn path. In fact, all of us by nature are on that path. Because of our sinful nature, no one had to teach us how to be greedy. From very early age, we have a knack for that. And we perhaps grow in our familiarity with it. Jesus, therefore, gives us a great caution about this. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. 
take care or watch out or be on guard against all covetousness, which means greed. Be on your guard against all greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When you hear the warning of Jesus, out of great love, he says, watch out for this, be on guard for this. It is an enemy to be alert to and to flee and fight. Because it will tell you life is the abundance of your possessions. But he says, Jesus' way is so different than that. That's not true life. May we today come clean, admit our own struggle with greed. May we repent today. So we see the way of greed. But thankfully, friends, there's another way, the way of generosity. Look down at chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but... The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So we see the desire, which is flourishing. We all want to flourish like a green leaf. And who is it that flourishes like this? He says, the righteous. If we look back over in chapter 28, verse 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. So who are the righteous? They are those who trust in the Lord. So to make progress in our fight against greed, we, we transfer trust from ourselves. We transfer trust from possessions, from our investments. We turn our trust to the Lord. We place our hope in Him. We understand that we're not truly righteous ourselves. We understand we need help from beyond ourselves. And the good news is the one we trust in is our Savior and King, Jesus who came and walked the earth. Between when this proverb was written and between our lives now, Jesus came near. And in that coming, he performed the ultimate act of generosity. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And what a glorious statement of what Christ has done in his sacrifice of coming near. Christ, who was rich, rich in glory, rich in every way, set that aside, becoming poor, taking on flesh like us. He walked the earth showing us what his kingdom is like, his kingdom that's overflowing always in grace and generosity, his kingdom that was never marked by greed. Ultimately, Christ would go to the cross there, suffer and die, buried and raised on the third day to provide the most extravagant gift that a person could ever receive. And why did Christ do this? Out of God's great love and for our sake, that in his becoming poor, in him we might be made rich. In him we might know true flourishing. In him we might be made righteous. For on the cross, Christ took our unrighteousness, he took our sin and his righteousness given to us. Friends, here we see the distinctiveness of Christianity among all world religions. Where God himself comes near. He comes near and gives to his people. That we're not brought in by giving to him, instead by only receiving what he's given to us. It's a gracious God who gives freely to all who would receive it 
by faith. And friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would join us. And we so would love for you to know this Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and if you're not a Christian, friend, I, I wonder, how do you currently think about greed? I, I, I trust you, too, see the negative aspects of it. But I wonder, where do you go? Where do you look for help when you see greed within yourself? Can, can you ever remove the weight of that? Is there a way to freedom for you? We believe, friends, it's found in Jesus Christ. Friends, for those of us who are Christians, we have been made rich in Christ, forgiven, freed, new life now, adopted as God's children, even called co-heirs with Christ. Treasures forevermore with God for eternity. And because of what Christ has done for us, because he becomes our ultimate treasure, we don't have to store up treasures here today. Friends, when he becomes your treasure, our lack of treasure in this life, even our poverty, can become less daunting. When you are secure in God's grace, you don't have to try to find security in your investments or your bank account. When you're confident in the eternal riches of Christ, you don't have to be captive to the pursuit of riches now. And because we are rich now in Christ, we can live freely and generously today. You can do that. We have the power we need from Christ now indwelt by the Spirit who will help you to fight greed and grow in grace and generosity. What does this path of generosity look like? Look back at Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. So this is generosity, giving freely. So one, it's giving to others, but notice it's not only giving, but it is giving freely. It's giving to those in need, it's giving to a friend, a neighbor, even a stranger, giving to the work of Jesus' kingdom, but it's giving not reluctantly, not grudgingly, not out of guilt, not because I'm forced, but giving freely. Instead of holding tightly, generosity is the open hand, glad, enjoy, willing to give. And what's the typical pattern that flows from generosity? Notice he says, gives freely, yet grows all the richer. From the world's math, to give freely... You, you, you might be generous, but you, you'll grow poorer, not richer, but that's not, that's not what the text says. For there is, when God's people give generously, there is more going on than meets the eye. Look down again at our text at verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Now these statements that we have in Proverbs are, are not promises, but they are observations, generalities, and we could even say this is normally the way that God works. Normally, when God's people give freely, he enriches them that they might give more. Normally, when we refresh others, he waters us as well. Now, sometimes that's through actual financial resources. We give our financial resources he blesses us with more financial resources. But of course, there are numerous other ways that God enriches us as well. 
Friends, as we give, generosity enriches our hearts and our souls. Where there once was a a tight-fisted, anxious heart, the heart is now more at ease. Few things are more heart-shrinking and joy-robbing than greed. But few things are more heart-enlarging and joy-stirring than generosity. So where there once was worry about losing, now there's the joy of seeing others blessed as we give. Look at the second half of verse 25. The one who waters will himself be watered. Now, living in America, few of us ever have to think about access to water. You turn on the faucet, and the water comes. And the water will run until you turn it off. It's not the case in all of the country, but for most of us in Boston, that's certainly the case. But in a world where water is more scarce, where it takes great effort, perhaps, to retrieve. It's more costly, and it's certainly more risky to give it away. If you have a limited supply, you're going to think twice. Should I give this to someone else, or or should I keep it? What if I give away my water? Will, Will I have more? But instead, the call here is, don't guard your water. Pour it out for others. Give it freely to others and you will be refreshed. But we wonder, what if I pour it out and God doesn't provide? What if God doesn't come through? And so we might hold on to our water and God doesn't give us extra. And so we think, well, it's a good thing I didn't give it away because God didn't give me more. But friends, notice here that God gives to us after we've refreshed others. So so we pour it out, and then we're watered. So typically, God doesn't give us extra first, but the pattern is more we give, it costs us, and God loves to provide after we've given. We we often think, maybe tell ourselves and even tell others, "I, I look forward to being generous. And we say something like, I will be generous in the future when this happens or when I have this much resources. And some of us may say, you know, I'd really love to be successful in life. And when I do, I really look forward to being generous to organizations and in this way. And that's a great and godly aspiration. But, but really, the, the first question is, are you generous now? Because, friend, honestly, if you're not generous now, even if you have almost nothing... I'm not sure you'll be generous when you have more. I wouldn't be so certain you'll be generous then if you're not generous now. But here we see, give freely now. Pour out what you have now, for God loves to give more. I bring my trusty water bottle up here, you know, every Sunday. And and so if this is the water referred to here, I have this water, I have enough for me. The question is, will I pour it out for someone else? But the risk is if I pour it out, will I have enough? But the text would call me, God's way would call me to give it away and trust him. So, So will I pour it out? And would I pour out more trusting that God will graciously fill it up and that I'd pour out more, that God would fill it up, and I'd pour out more. Now, what I begin to think is that, you know what? It might help God if I had a bigger container. 
So I begin to like buy buckets, right? I build a system. Instead of simply continuing to do what I have, which is to give it away, and God gives more. And to give it away, and God gives more. Friends, this is the pattern that God normally uses. Friend, if you want to be refreshed in your own soul, if you want to grow in faith, give generously. For when you do, you see God blessing others. And you get to experience trust because you've got to trust God that he would provide more for you. Now, some of us might be thinking today, and you might be already be doing the calculus, like, okay, wait a minute here. I could, I could give in order to get. You know, maybe you, you business school guys, you know, you're already doing the math. You're like, okay, here's, here's the system, the calculus. So maybe we can game the system to get more from God. God is obligated to give if I give like that. But friends, of course, God knows our hearts. God sees. So we may be able to fool one another. We can't fool God. So, so don't try that math. But sadly, there's a, there's a stream that calls itself Christianity that basically says you're bound to give to God. And if you'll give freely, generously to God, God will make you rich, prosperous in this life. Friends, that's not biblical. God doesn't promise to make us rich in this life. He does promise to provide for us, to sustain us. He promises there's something greater than riches in this life. And he also does assure us that, that when we give freely, he may not make us rich, but he does love to bless those who freely give. And friends, there's something greater that we just aspire to, and that's in 1128. The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. This is the one who isn't trusting in his or her own riches, not trusting in our possessions, but we're trusting in God and walking in generosity, and we will flourish like a green leaf. It's not necessarily abounding in possessions, but it's the flourishing of the heart, of the soul, flourishing in the freedom that comes from generosity. For if you meet a truly generous person, they're, they're often quite joyful quite at rest. Friends, this is what we want to be, the flourishing green leaf, not the withered leaf, not the barren, leafless tree. Friend, look out the window today. The trees abound from our cold, rainy weekend. These green leaves are flourishing. All of them flourishing. Friends, that's what we desire. Give freely. Give generously that you might flourish heart and mind and soul. Friend, you see that God is not only calling us away from something, he is calling us away from greed, but he's calling us to something. There's something better for us. The generous life that is the life of flourishing. So what does it look like to seek to be personally generous? First, friend, I encourage you to pray for yourself. So the prayer might be, God, help me to discern where Greed might be present in my life. Pray and repent of wherever you might see that. You also likely will be helped to confess this struggle, at the very least to God, but likely to someone else. So maybe to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I just need to tell you, I've been struggling with greed. So I'd love for you to pray with me, and maybe would you just ask me the next time you see me how that fight is going? I would also encourage you, start giving where you are. Don't be concerned with how little you have to give. 
Give from what you have. Generosity is not based upon the amount that you give, but it's the proportion from what you have. So it can be profoundly generous. Start with what you have. You won't give in the future if you don't give now. So start with where you are and then look for spontaneous opportunities. Perhaps even today, someone may cross your path where you could just give from what you have even today, spontaneously. It's a beautiful thing when God's people give spontaneously to need. But in addition to giving spontaneously, most of us will need to plan to give. Because life is busy, we get distracted. Most of us, if we don't plan to give, at the end of the year, if we look back, we will not have given what we had hoped to give or even desired to give. It just didn't happen. So, so thinking through, what, what would it look like for you to give systematically, planned way from what you have? And so as we give, friends, we get to give to the kingdom work. Give to God's purposes in the local church. Give to organizations that are seeking to share this good news. Give to help individual members in the church. Give to help those that aren't a part of the church, who just people in need that you may come across. Let me also encourage you, be a generous neighbor. Be a generous neighbor to those who are on your street or those who are in your house, those who live above you or next door down the hall. Sharing your time. Sharing your resources. Sharing your energy. Don't be a tight-fisted neighbor. Be a generous neighbor. Friend, also be generous on campus and at work. Be willing to share your time with others. Share your expertise freely. Don't hold it so tightly. Share credit with others whenever you can. Work honestly. Work fairly. If you're in a position that has influence over the salaries of others, don't think, what's the least we could pay them? But think, what's the most generous way we could provide for them within reason? And friends, as we think about generosity, we, we think about it together as a church family as well. We want to pray and work to be a generous church. The natural impulse of individuals, of families, and of churches is not to grow in generosity, but is in time to turn inward. Because there are always plenty of needs from within. But friends, you as a church, however, freely give. During the pandemic, you've given thousands and thousands of dollars to, to serve those in benevolence who are struggling. People who've lost their jobs, people in need. You've given freely above and beyond again and again and have offered to give more. You have been generous. Often I hear secondhand later about people in the community group serving, meeting needs of others in their group. As a church, before the pandemic, the members voted to give $100,000 from our church to help the church plant over in Belmont buy a building. It's a lot of money. But you wanted to generously give. But what's really interesting is you gave through the pandemic because we had fewer expenses. God has already provided for the church that. So that's an example. Give. And God waters those who waters. God refreshes those who gives. And friends, we've had a chance to be generous in unexpected ways as well during the pandemic. To serve some other sister churches. So on Sunday evenings, Trinity Church in Cambridge hasn't had a building. And so because we have a building that's not much, but it's available, they've been able to meet. They'll be here this evening using our building until they have a building. On Thursday evenings, until just two weeks ago, City Life Church, who needed a space to record their service. 
Just simple ways for us to be generous. God has been so generous to us. We have the chance to be generous. And now in a new church plant, to give financially, to send people, to be generous again. So friends, let's pray that we as a church would always be generous, freely giving what God has provided. And friends, as we make progress together, as we make progress scattered into our neighborhoods and into our workplace, our lives will be, a generous life is a beautiful countercultural picture. In a world eaten up with envy as we saw last week and greed we see this week, a generous life is glorifying to God and is attractive. And we do it not to draw their eye to us, not for people to say, wow, you're so generous, but to say, who is her God that she lives like that? Why would she give so freely and so generously of her time and resources? It's because of the grace of God in you. So friends, by the grace of God, may we be a well-watered, refreshed people, flourishing like the green leaves. Let's pray that we would be an open-handed, extravagantly generous people for the glory of God, for the good of our city, for the good of our neighbors. Friends, that's the life worth living. As a means of response this morning, we have just a moment, a moment of silence to consider your own heart, perhaps to confess sin to God. Another response is the connection form if you're online or the connection card. We'd love you to tear that off if you're here in person. Maybe some ways that we could pray for you. You might just say, would you pray for me as I think about greed? Or, or maybe you want to talk more. I'd like to know more about what does it look like to fight greed because you feel that you're kind of eaten up with it. You can note that in the card, drop it in the box on your way out. So we're going to bow our heads for time with silent praying. Then I'm going to lead us in praying together. Then we'll sing together as a means of response. So let's bow our heads. Father, we're thankful that you graciously warn us of the danger of greed, the danger of falling, the destructive power that eats up our souls, saps us of strength and of joy. And we're thankful that not only you call us away from that, you call us to something greater, to walk in a generosity that we've experienced from Christ. And so, Lord, would you make us generous people, joyfully generous, extravagantly generous as individuals in our neighborhood, in our workplace, on campus, and as a church. And Father, I pray for some who've never come to know Christ, that they might consider this Savior, this unique Savior who came, who humbled himself to rescue sinners, to make us children of God. I pray today they would know that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.